Erin, welcome. It's the first time that I've had an opportunity to interview you. Thanks for coming through to oh, our studios. Fantastic to be here. Thanks, Mike. Before we get into why you're here, which is to discuss an opinion piece you've you've written, it's up on biznews.com. Go check that out. Before we get into the contents of the op-ed piece, for somebody who doesn't watch the news and doesn't know who or what Bain and Company is and what two commissions of inquiry have found them to be implicated in, just lay that foundation for us. Mike, very simply, without going into, into too much unnecessary detail, um, we're all au fait with, with the extent to which state capture has, has grasped this country. And uh, long story short, Bain has been seriously implicated in that state capture. Uh, specifically, the focus to date has been on its work at SARS. Um, it consulted at SARS for a period of roughly 27 months, between 2015 and 2017. And during that time, there was basically a wholesale destruction of SARS, including the entire wholesale decimation of its um, enforcement units that focused on, on organized crime. So we've had two commissions of inquiry, first the Nugent Commission and now the State, the state Capture Commission, that have seriously implicated Bain in, uh, in state capture. Great. Now let's get to your piece. So you have written and opined um, asking the question whether there is a link between Bain and company, their capture of SARS, and the possible advancement of the illicit economy or organized crime. That's quite something to venture. That's quite a, a space to venture into. What sparked this idea? Mike, look, in all honesty, it wasn't a comfortable piece for me to, to write. Um, but while I was reading Athel Williams' testimony, I came across evidence of an email chain dated 2015 that basically was setting up a meeting between senior South African police officials, Interpol, senior Italian police officials, our minister of police, and representatives from Beretta, the firearms company. Now, obviously, Bain was the one organizing that meeting. And that just, that really grabbed my attention. And it, it's got me asking some, what I think are some very serious and important questions. And I always found it curious that when Bain was consulting to SARS, one of the hallmarks of that period was the wholesale destruction of SARS's enforcement units. And I'd never really understood that. Why was it? Why was there this necessity, this this extreme pursuit of destroying SARS's enforcement units. And when I read those emails, I just wondered if there might have been a connection between illicit trade and organized crime being pursued by Bain and this destruction of SARS's enforcement units. So that's what got it started. How did these emails come to light? Well, there are one of two options, and I'm not entirely sure which, which one it is. Um, here's what happened. After the Nugent Commission which first implicated Bain. Bain did two things. First, it asked Athel Williams to come and perform basically an ethical oversight role in the organization. And it contracted Baker McKenzie to do an investigation into its work with SARS. 
Now, the documents, these emails, either came from Bain and were given to Athol, or they came from Baker McKenzie and were given to, to Athol. But just not to put too fine a point on it, we, we don't know, we haven't been able to verify these emails yet, and they weren't unfortunately properly interrogated in the, in the Zondo Commission. So just so your, your audience knows, we're working on the assumption that these are legitimate emails, but that legitimacy hasn't been tested yet. It hasn't been tested, but it also hasn't been challenged. And that's an important point to make. Yes, very much. And, and thank you for that. I mean, if we look at the, um, at the State Capture Commission, Bain initially wanted to cross-examine Athel Williams when he gave his testimony after blowing the whistle. Then Bain was told by the Zondo Commission that they were welcome to cross-examine uh, Athel Williams, but that then they would also have to put their version in front of the commission. And after they were told that, they withdrew their application to cross-examine. And so we have not actually had Bain's side of the story here. I want to take us to one line in the emails and, and get your response and your thoughts on that. Now, who's speaking here is Vittorio Massone. He was one of the Bain SA partners. And he's writing to Beretta, the Italian arms manufacturer's Dr. Micheletti. Quote, I am only an intermediary, and these gentlemen are very structured and diligent. Isn't it nice to know that? Right now, Indeed. they are also obsessed with wiretapping. It's been a year trying to take out the commissioner. Now, the commissioner at the time, in September 2015, was Ria Piecha. Just by chance or happenstance, she would be suspended a month later. And that is assuming that this meeting takes place. But that is a concerning line. Quote, it has been a year trying to take out the commissioner. And if you look at the timeline at the time, that's Ria Piecha. Is that, is that a worrying line to you? Look, there are many, many worrying things about this meeting and, and the email chains, and that's certainly one of them. You know, firstly, this reference to wiretapping is, is, is suspect. If you're not doing anything illegal or anything shady, why are you worried about wiretapping? Second, this reference to, to the commissioner at the time, who, as you point out, was subsequently suspended, that indicates that, that Bain has inside knowledge that it, that it, shouldn't, that it shouldn't have. So the, entire, the fact that this entire discussion was even happening is highly irregular and raises very many questions. Uh, another line that stands out to me is once again Masone writing to Beretta and he says one of the important terms is public order policing and the issue of non-lethal weapons is very important to position Beretta. They have received specific instructions from the president to withdraw and replace the RS. Now the RS, RS-200 or RS-202 is a shotgun. Are we talking about President Jacob Zuma here? Do you think? It certainly seems that way. I'm not sure which other president we would be referring to. You know, but this to me is is very concerning because essentially what's being discussed here is some kind of procurement. Okay. So it looks like there was at some point a policy decision to move away from lethal weapons to possibly less lethal or non-lethal weapons. And that's why there is this this phrase by Masone where he says that Beretta should position itself about around non non-lethal firearms. 
So essentially what you've got here is Beretta coming in to have a discussion, it looks like with the minister at the time, about a procurement issue. Now that is highly irregular. Ministers don't get involved in procurement. Procurement happens through procurement offices at the various departments and, and SOEs. This is fertile ground for corruption, is when you start having ministers meeting with people like firearms traders. Just to point out, we have reached out to one of the parties named in the emails and... Uh, he has absolutely no recollection of uh, such a meeting ever taking place. He is certainly one of the people who is named as the contact person by Bain. Get in touch with Mr. Molati Moremi, who was head of stakeholder relations in the police ministry. I reached out to him and I said, have you ever had anybody from Bain contact you? What was this meeting all about? Did it uh, did it occur? I'm not exactly pleading the fifth, but I cannot recall was the response there. Yes, and I, I always love those responses because it's not an admission, but it's also not a denial. Yeah. Now on Monday, Lord Peter Hain, he uh, writes an opinion piece. It gets carried by the Financial Times, a very influential publication in Europe at least, and he calls on the UK government, the US government, to cut ties, to freeze out Bain um, because of the findings from both the Nugent and the State Capture Inquiry. And he wants the US, because it's a Boston-based company, uh, even though they are global, to withdraw the license from Bain to operate. What, what do you think of Lord Haynes' calls in the Financial Times? I think, it's, I think it's extremely necessary, and I wish that there was more similar action actually happening in South Africa. There was more boycotting of, of, of Bain. Essentially, what Lord Hain is doing is he's applying significant significant public pressure and international pressure to Bain. Um, and, and South Africa, as the, as the place where all of this malfeasance happened in the first place, um, should have been the first to hop on board that train. But unfortunately, we, we, we haven't seen that. You know, one would think that with the amount of evidence that's been brought forward by Bain, Bain's obfuscatory conduct, their clear non-compliance with our laws, with our constitution, one would have thought we would have seen a mass boycott. We would have seen people who had contracts with Bain finding lawful ways to withdraw from those contracts. We would have hoped to have seen people resigning from Bain, South Africa. But instead, we haven't. We've just carried on as as, as normal, which I find concerning and, and honestly quite disappointing. So I'm very grateful to people like, like Lord Hain and Athel Williams, who continue to raise that alarm bell internationally. So here's a, an eye-watering uh, figure for you that Lord, Lord Hain threw out yesterday in an interview with uh, Alec Hogg, the editor here. He said that Bain had made £55 million from doing work for the British government over the last few years. He wasn't explicit about an exact time frame. And that equals 1.14 trillion rand. Let's compare that to the fees that uh, Bain derived at the South African Revenue Service Poultry, 167 million rand? Well, here's, here's something that, that also to me just makes very little sense. I mean, look, firstly, I don't think it was just 167. I think Bain has been, that, that was one project. You know, I suspect that Bain consults or has been consulting quite broadly across state entities and for a protect, protracted period of, of, of time. So I think that there's significantly more money. 
um, at play. And also, if we look at these emails and the meeting that, that we think might have happened and Bain's role, it also raises the question about whether or not there are illegitimate kickbacks. That are, that are being paid either to Bain or to its employees. So who knows how much of our money they've got. You speak about the possibility of, of them having done work at other state-owned entities or in government departments. Do we actually know where Bain has worked or where they are currently still working? No, exactly. Uh, and this is a serious bone of contention for me and it's something that drives me nuts. And it's why I always advocate for transparency, transparency, transparency. Give us the details. I mean, this is one of those moments where there should be full and frank disclosure about where Bain has worked 1994 onwards and where they are working now. Why is this information not forthcoming? Why is no one pushing for this? Why is Parliament not asking the questions? Why are the opposition parties not asking? I mean, it's an obvious, obvious question and it is hugely important. And, and so this is why I'm so concerned about this email because what we're seeing here is not the full picture. It's a microcosm of a macro situation. And the only reason we know about Bain and SARS is because Athel Williams had the courage to blow the whistle. So what we need to do is look at Bain. We need to interrogate and investigate as much as we can, work out what happened, work out the patterns of corruption that manifested, and then we need to start extrapolating. And we need to start looking at whether that has happened in other consulting firms, in other auditing firms, if their pattern manifests in the banks, the law firms. Hopefully, we will get whistleblowers coming out more frequently after Athol's kind of, you know, lit the torch and and and, and led, led the way. But this is an opportunity. We need to not take a siloed approach and think that it's just Bain and just SARS, because I don't think it is. I think it's much deeper, much, much deeper than that. Well, Athol Williams says it would work to... Bain's advantage if you just cast the eye at SARS. Well, <laughs> that's one of Bain's angles. Bain's other angle is first look at SARS. And if you must look at us, look at one of our employees, Mr. Vittorio Massone. And whoops, sorry, but he went rogue. And it's not our fault. Bain is not corrupt. Maybe there was a problem with Massone. Sorry about that. But he's he's gone. Okay. I'm still consulting to a company that has offices in South Africa, but but be be that as it may. So Bain has adopted as a, a strategy of epic deflection. And anyone who believes, given the evidence that we've seen, that the problem was one man, Mr. Vittorio Massone, it's not a it's not a viable proposition at all. I mean, it's clear from some of the contracts that Bain was concluding and the approval processes that those contracts had to go through, that those contracts, dodgy as they were, had to work their way up to international partners at Bain, senior management internationally at Bain. So people knew what was happening here and they signed off on it. And those need those issues need to be investigated. And then we need to take that and look at this meeting in the context of everything else that's on Folded. Yeah, Athel Williams says Vittorio Massani was celebrated from Boston. You could hear the cheers because of all the, the, the money the man was generating for Bain through through various projects. Um, there was something called a President's Project, and, yes. and that alluded to, to President Jacob Zuma. I want to ask you about, they've been found to be unscrupulous. The state capture inquiry said that many of their actions were unlawful. How do you deal with private sector companies like this? Do you cut them off at the knees? And I, I ask this in particular because if we look at Bell Pottinger and the immense harm that it did to South Africa, uh, heinous uh, campaigns it ran, immoral, you wouldn't be allowed to operate anymore. Their license was withdrawn and they have closed down. Mm -hmm. Should 
Bain's executives in Boston, including Mr. Massone, drag him out of Italy, put them before a court of law here, and then test this version and, and then make findings against him. Is that something that has to happen so that South Africa can get over this? Because Bain's mea culpa, it just doesn't seem to be enough. Look, I mean, as for what we can do, there are, there are numerous prongs to, to, to this answer. The first is what the state can do. Under South African law, you can prosecute a company and employees criminally. So we could do both. Technically, we could go after Bain. We could go after Missone. We could go after whoever else um, is, is implicated through, through these investigations at Bain. Obviously, if you're going to go after individuals like Vittorio Massone, you're going to have to use the Extradition Act to extradite him and bring him back to South Africa to face trial. But all of that would only happen after a very, very extensive investigation. And we don't even know at this point if that investigation is going to happen. It, it is a recommendation in the Zondo report. We'll see what the, what the president's response to that is. Okay, so I want to go over to Bain's statement because it is in, important to, to put their side across as well. Uh, they released a statement in the wake of the findings of the Nugent Commission and a lot of it was a, a cut and paste job, to be honest. Um, if you look at the very latest statement um, when they were uh, deciding whether or not to, to be a member of Business Leadership South Africa. Yeah. So here it goes, uh, quote, the commission's hearings, and it's referring to Nugent here, and the final report published last week have laid bare the disarray in which SARS now finds itself with both moral and performance severely damaged. Contributing to that outcome was not the intent of the Bain project, and we clearly made significant errors of judgment in taking on this work. As a firm, we have been shocked and saddened by our involvement with SARS. We let down our clients, our people, our alumni. Most of all, we've let you down, South Africa. We accept that through various lapses in leadership and governance, Bain South Africa became an unwitting participant in the process that inflicted serious damage on South Africa. Heartfelt? <laughs> no. And my response to that is, yes, you have let South Africa down and you should bugger off. Uh, and if they don't want to, then we should kick them out. Um, that, that should be our response. You know, as much as we hope that law enforcement and the NPA do their investigations and pursue the prosecutions, we as South Africans also need to start standing up and saying, if we want to protect our constitution, if we want to protect an ethical society, then we need to act ethically. And part of that is if you are associated with people like Bain, when you find out what they're up to, get them out get rid of them. You know, that's that that's the that's the second leg in our own personal responsibility that that we all carry. As for whether that's heartfelt, no, I don't think it is. As for whether it's accurate, no, I don't think it is. I don't buy for a second that they are shocked and saddened by anything. This looks to me like it was intentional. And this this potential meeting that may or may not have happened in, in, in 2015 also raises some very serious questions because if it turns out that Bain or its employees were somehow profiting from organized crime, then it would make sense that they so ruthlessly pursued the destruction of SARS's enforcement units. So I'd, I don't buy for a single second that there, that there was any lapse in judgment. To me, on the evidence that I've seen it, as it stands uncontradicted by Bain at this point in time, it seems to me that there's something far more um, dubious at play. Well, let's just remind uh, the person watching here that Bain was in contact with President Jacob Zuma and Tom Moyane far in advance of him yes. becoming the SARS commissioner. Now, they had no business talking 
to Tom Moyane, but it seems that they had the inside track on who he was going to become, the position he was going to be appointed to, and they were just helping him figure out what he needed to do as part of a restructuring agenda when he became the boss there. Correct. So we're not we're not thinking anything up here. This is not in the ether. No. This is this is all coming out of the commissions of inquiry. Correct. You know, and, and I mean the, the whole the whole chain of events just speaks to coordination. You know, firstly it's 2010 and Vittorio Massone arrives in South Africa. About a year and a half, two years later, he starts having multiple meetings with the president and also Tom Moyane during during the same during the same period, although maybe a little bit a little bit later. But at the time of those meetings, there was no contract with the South African government in place. No reason at all for a consulting firm or partner at a consulting firm to be meeting with the president. And Athel Williams made this patently clear in, in his evidence. He said that he could think of no legitimate reason for such meetings, especially in the absence of any of any contract. And you're right, Bain seemed to know about Tom Moyane's appointment many months before he was actually given that, that, that appointment. So, you know, if you start connecting the dots here, it, it becomes very difficult to believe that all of this was, was a lapse in judgment. What did you meet the president? out of a lapse of judgment? Did you not did you not know that that was irregular and that that shouldn't be happening? Um, do you know that we have a constitution? Do you know that we have procurement laws? It, it, just, it just doesn't make sense. The version makes no sense at all. Well, Bain had managed to hook a very big fish here under this president's project. And Mr. Massone wrote quite openly in his emails back to Boston about the progress he was making with former president Jacob Zuma. Mm. So when we when we speak about this particular email uh, and the September 2015 meeting whether or not it took place where they refer to a president there the only reasonable inference one can draw there is not the president of Beretta or the president of Business Leadership South Africa it's the president of the republic. Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Have you had a chance to have a look at the opinion piece Athel Williams has written recently? No, I haven't read it yet. I have seen that it's up on the website, but I haven't been able to go through it yet. Perfect, because that's a very nice segue into how we end this. <laughs> and that is we are going to hope to get Athel Williams, the Bane whistleblower, uh, on this program next week. And then the three of us can have a nice conversation. I want to end by quoting from Zondo's first report in relation to Bain. And it says, quote, one of the few instances where President Zuma was himself directly and personally involved in the activities and plans to take over a government entity. And Bain's involvement is a clear example of how the private sector colluded on state capture. Aaron Richards, thank you for joining me. 